to Ethics of the Naval Warrior. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. My guest today is a qualified U.S. Navy Surface Warfare Officer. He is also the former chair of the Department of Leadership, Ethics, and Law at the Naval Academy. He's been an advisor to the men's basketball team and the water polo team here at Navy. He earned a doctoral degree in systemic theology from the Catholic University of America and is the author of the book, The Greatest of Humility, St. Augustine on Moral Excellence. Welcome, Captain Joe McInerney. Well, thank you, Michael. It is such a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad to be able to spend this time with you. I'm really happy that you're here, Joe. It's going to be a good conversation, but let me set the stage. Uh, We're going to talk about a guy, and I'm going to ask you this big first question. Is it Augustine or Augustine? You know, I don't know if we're going to get any deeper than that in this discussion. But uh, so for my exposure to that word was actually as a five-year-old taking a trip down to Florida with my family uh, to go to Disney World. And we stayed in St. Augustine, Florida, as I remembered it. But for scholars that study um, his work, they call him St. Augustine. So we'll, we'll, we'll go with the scholars rather than my five-year-old self, and we'll go with St. Augustine. So let's let's jump into it. So who is St. Augustine and why should we care what he had to say? Well, St. Augustine is a very ancient Christian thinker, but he wasn't always a Christian. And uh, he um, he was alive between 350 and 430 CE. So he was alive right at the end of the of the Roman Empire and was probably the most significant thinker at the end of the Roman Empire. And I think, well, one one you could say we should pay attention to him because he influenced so many other people. You know, he wrote over 100 books. A lot of them were very long books, too. And he was a profound thinker. But I think the reason to listen to, to him the most is that he was very honest with himself and had a lot of experiences that resonate with just ordinary people. He struggled in a lot of ways and, um, and, and overcame things too. And I think that's the gifts that he has to offer us. He was a very normal person working in the trenches, but still achieved some significant things too. And not to get too deep into those trenches, but he's got a uh, very interesting first 30 years, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and that really shaped him to a certain extent. So he was born, he was the son of a Roman you know, local political figure and a Christian mother. And, and the Christian mother, she was, he was born in North Africa near Carthage, modern day uh, Tunisia, actually. And, um, and his Christian mother was a, was very, you know, not to be too hard on her, but she was a very dominant personality. And so much of Augustine's youth was spent rebelling against her. You know, his father was a little absent and his mom was all over him for a long time. And what's interesting about him is he was a very precocious student and really, really talented. And so he went from a small village to the city of Carthage, probably the second biggest city at the time in the Western Roman Empire. And he got a lot of newfangled ideas that his mom didn't like. And so so a lot of that that tension and conflict of his early life was centered on that relationship, which, which is obviously a relationship that's important to all of us. So those are the experiences that kind of shaped his thought and his writing, right? Absolutely. And I would also say the intellectual climate that he was exposed to in Carthage, that he, you know, he had this Christian upbringing and he rejected it. And he found that the sophisticated philosophers, people like Cicero that he read, 
uh, were very flowing in their prose and he wanted to be, he wanted to be, you know, kind of an aristocrat and he saw the philosophers as that. And he, he really looked down on his, his mother's religion as being very primitive and, uh, and he wanted to break away from that, so to speak. And so his, his intellectual journey early on kind of married up with, with the struggles with his family really. Joe, you know, we're talking about a guy who, who lived and wrote what, 1700 years ago. So is there anything about his thinking then that still affects or should affect us today. Yeah, you know, that's the thing is like he he wrote so broadly. He's remembered as a Christian thinker because although he rebelled against his mother 20, 30 years later, he came back to to his roots in Christianity. And so he's he's one of the most influential theologians, you know, in the history of the of the Christian tradition. But he's also an extraordinary influential philosopher. He's an extraordinarily influential political theorist. And he's even, you, some say that he's the thinker that really established the foundation for not only for just war, but for psychology. He, you know, some authors say he's the guy that in, invented this idea of the inner self, that we had this interior that we could look at and, and kind of understand ourselves through. And a lot of people say, you know, although Freud has very, very little in common with Augustine, he, he operates within a context that, that Augustine kind of set up 1,700 years ago. It's really, really fascinating. There's, there's another part of him, though. Uh, he was an African, right? Right. And he influenced Europe. Tell me about that. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Is that he was, you know, he was from a backwater, and uh, and um, you know, certainly, fourth-century Roman Empire is not the most enlightened place in the world. And so we can look at this in the context of uh, that we have very, you know, strong focus on race consciousness. And it's interesting to think that Augustine, he had a Roman father, but his his mom was North African. So he was likely to uh, to not look and certainly not sound like the movers and shakers in Rome, in Italy. And at the time, the imperial court was in Milan. But he was very ambitious and he was very, very gifted intellectually. And so he ends up he ends up overcoming those those differences in background and becomes named the, the emperor's rhetorician, the state rhetorician. He's almost in charge for a short period of time of, of Roman imperial propaganda when when the when the capital was in Milan. So it's it's fascinating that an outsider like that can worm his way into the internal bureaucracy, especially when so much of our perceptions are based on the way we look and the way we sound. And he probably looked and sounded very much like an outsider at the Roman imperial court at the time. Not only an outsider in, in looks of the way he might have carried himself, but as a Christian, as a religious thinker, does his thoughts resonate in today's secular society? Yeah, you know, so it's interesting is, is that in some ways, his society was very similar to our society in that regard. You know, at the time, he actually got into his prominent position in imperial court because at the time he was not a Christian and he was an avowed foe of Christianity. He was a part of a, uh, of a religious sect called Manichaeism, which is a very ancient uh, and a very controversial religion at the time. And so it was the Manichaeans who were, who were very much opposed to Christians that kind of got him into the position that he wanted to be in. But what was politically convenient for him at the time then when he went to Milan was to convert to Christianity. And that's what he did, not because of any depth of feeling, but because that was what would help his career, actually. And so what's interesting is that you have just this mix of different intellectual approaches to 
politics to morality, ethics, religion, they were all at work in the Roman Empire. Very similarly to our secular cultures, that we have religious thinkers in our time. We are a secular society, and there are all these different elements that affect the way we think as 21st century Americans. And Augustine being at the heart of the Roman Empire at the time, he was, he was you know, kind of in the middle of all these different ways of thinking. And to be frank, despite the fact that he was very intelligent, he was very confused. It was like, how do you make sense of all of this, especially at a young age? And so in some ways, he's, he, he's a, you know, kind of a humble way to approach this stuff is that depending on what your perspective is, you're going to have very different views. And those are going to be, you know, set in opposition to people that don't share your, your baseline principles. So he, he was in that mix the way we're in that mix today in our own society. Now, let me understand that a little bit more, though. Did he reject Stoic or Platonic uh, thought or theory, or did he weave that and integrate that into Christian thoughts and theory at the same time? Yeah, he. so he was a Manichae, and Manichaeism in the end couldn't answer his questions. And the philosophies that could were Stoicism and, and Platonism of the time. And what's fascinating is, is that he never becomes a Christian without first studying those philosophies. And so when you see his early books— um, you know, he starts writing on Christian morality. He is a Stoic through and through, you know, very similar to the Stoics, you know, talking about you, know, you should only attach yourselves to things that are permanent, because if you lose them, you'll be unhappy. I mean, you can't get a more precise Stoic concept. But what he says is that as a Christian, he says, therefore, you should attach yourself to God because God is unchanging and permanent and all powerful. So you can't lose God where the Stoics would would focus it more on your own virtue, so to speak, but very, very similar take on it. He he was, in a way, at that time in the Roman Empire, you have an, an interaction between Christian thinkers and Greek and Roman philosophical thinkers, and Augustine is a is a combination of those two streams of traditions, really is. This is great stuff, uh, but it's pretty complex uh, and, and dense stuff. Can we discern a leadership philosophy? especially as junior officers from Augustine's writings? So I think the quick answer to that is, is, is no, in the sense that leadership science is a very recent phenomenon. But Augustine, like many ancient thinkers, really does write about a lot of ideas that are significant to, to leadership. And I, I would say probably the most significant one, shocking as this may be given my, my research, is, is Augustine's view of humility. That, you know, so Augustine was very, very concerned with the, uh, with the idea of pride, and he defined pride in a specific sense, that it was the love of self that eclipsed all other loves. And so this, the prideful person was a, an arrogant person that only cared about themselves. And so that was obviously, you know, for most people would say that's not a great person. So, so for Augustine, the antidote to that is humility. Um, you know, as a person, and he defined humility in a lot of different ways in a very rich way, but he kind of made it equated it to the idea of love being concerned for other people the humble person is not so concerned about himself or herself but but about other people and that helps the humble person to relate to other people in a way that that you know an arrogant person alienates people a humble person is able to to relate to people really well and then the other thing that's nice about it is is that the humble person has has a strength they don't put on airs and they they're grounded very well and so not only can they relate well to their peers or to other people or maybe the followers they have a solidity to them that that is one attractive to other people and is also a foundation of trust that that the humble person is not 
you know, from Augustine's perspective, they're not that concerned about themselves. They're concerned about other people. They might, as a leader, they, the humble leader might be concerned more about the mission than himself or herself. And so you have this rich idea of humility that permeates outwards and it draws people to the humble leader, but it also gives them a level of trust that they might, that they wouldn't have for a leader that, that is focused on themselves, so to speak. So I think his, he's got this paradigm paradoxical idea of the humble person ends up being the greatest of all. And I think there's a lot for us to learn and explore in that context and relationship. I appreciate that perspective. Quite frankly, uh, we've talked about humility several times in this podcast, and we can see with what you're saying here, you know, from Augustine's writings and his uh, and, and the research you've done and others have done, that humility still informs a significant part of what a great leader can be. Joe, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Ethics in the Naval Warrior. Michael, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to the Stockdale Minute, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts.